Well, welcome to Behind the DM Screen. This is Sam Dillon, and I am one of your hosts, and I'm here with Mike Shea. Howdy. And filling in for Jeff this week, we have a special guest, Brandis Stoddard. Well met. And we don't really do much of an intro, so this is the show where we talk about our games for 15 minutes, and then we get feedback, and then we move to the next person. So first up tonight is Mike Shea. Oh, I'm supposed to go now? Yes, 15 minutes on the clock, not 25. About, uh, the good thing is I'm not I'm not behind because I'm the one working the timer, so I can <laughs> take as long as all right. I set 15 minutes. Uh, so I'm gonna talk. I have two games that I'm running right now. I have my Sunday Waterdeep Dragon Heist game, and then uh, my Wednesday Shadow of the Demon Lord game. And I thought uh, so. I I, I have a uh, pardon me while I pimp another show on this show. Uh, I I do a Twitch channel, uh, a Twitch show every Sunday at 10 a.m. Uh, where I talk about my uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist game. So I'm going to not talk about that here and instead talk about the Shadow of the Demon Lord game, which I don't talk about anywhere else. So uh, I had not, I have played Shadow a bunch of times, but I had never run it before. And I, I've, but I've fallen in love with it just from the sort of super dark thematic stuff. And I love Rob's, Rob Schwab's writing, the, the author of it. And uh, I also have like, I don't know, I think over 100 PDFs of Shadow of the Demon Lord that I bought through Kickstarters and through uh, Humble Bundles and and then also Direct. Uh, and, you know, I'm like, someday I'm going to actually run this game with my 100 PDFs. And I uh, we, hit a, we hit a point in my Wednesday campaign where we finished Tomb of Annihilation and we had already won, we had already run Dragon Heist back when it was a play test and Salt Marsh isn't out yet. Um, so I said, why don't we take a nice, you know, 10 week session and do a full shadow of the demon Lord campaign. And my players were like, they were kind of like, yeah, sure. That sounds fine. So, you know, because they never heard of it before, right. They're not, they're, they're, they're normal folk and they, you know, so they're used to D and D, but they weren't opposed to it. They're all, they've, they've all played a bunch of different things and we played some 13th age and stuff like that before. So they're not opposed to other systems. And so I kind of explained it to him. Then what I was worried about is like this group, we, we had fun, but we just got through Tomb of, Tomb of Annihilation, which is a pretty dark and sinister, especially the end, right? Pretty dark and sinister campaign. And like, we're going to go right into another dark and sinister campaign where you die all the time. Um, so I, I bought the, I think there was a sale uh, a month or so ago, and I bought the Victims of the Demon Lord PDF, which is the how to create a starting character. It's sort of like all of the rules on how the game plays plus all the things you need to build a, a, a starting character for like a dollar 30. Right. So I bought seven copies of that and I sent it to all the players. One gave them, gave me each a copy. And then, um, so that way they could kind of read up on the rules and sort of, you know, feel, feel the game out. And, um, then we started. So we are now, I think we're going to have our fourth session, uh, we're going to have our fourth session tomorrow and uh, they have, so the way shadow works. So it's meant to be 11 sessions long and you level up every session. You start at level zero in which you have a profession and an, and an, or uh, what do they call it? An ancestry, which is like a race. Uh, but you don't have a class yet and you don't start getting a class until your first level. And in which case you, you, you have what they call novice paths, which are like your fighter, cleric, mage, and thief. And then at third level you get your first expert path which feels more like all of the different classes that you would get mm. in fifth edition D. and then at seventh level you get your master path which is like 64 different possible paths for your character so it's crazy on the amount of and and all of the paths let you switch to whatever path you want at any point at any 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 time you go from those so it's not like if you're an expert in barbarian or whatever you can't then take which you know witch hunter later on you can you can really switch up and, and pick any of the paths at, nice. regardless of what your previous choices were somebody have a question no it's just saying, saying this is really cool yeah, it's really neat. So like uh, my, my players fell in love with the depth of that. They like saw it. They saw the players. They, they started looking at the player's guide and stuff. And they're like, wow, there's a lot of options for this. I'm like, yeah. So they're, they like that chewy, you know, that chewy bit of, of really being able to customize your character. And, and I kind of dig the theme. And the thing that I find both fascinating and also really challenging is the idea that 
Um, and I, I kind of made it a little harder on myself because you level every session. I wanted to have some time between each session in game time so that they had sort of like what they did to go from one level to the next. Like who did they meet or what did they study or, you know, what did they learn that got them this new level every time, which means I want to have like a two or three day in game break between each of the stories between each of the sessions. And my sessions are only three hours long. So it means I have to come up with a full adventure that only takes three hours and has a a, a full hook and is moving the campaign forward. So it's not like a total one-shot adventure uh, and has room for them to then explore what they did in between sessions. So it's it's, it's very, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build a very episodic campaign. And I started with the Tales of the Demon Lord campaign series, which was Rob Schwab's original 11, uh, 11 adventure campaign arc that was part of the Kickstarter and stuff. It's been out for a long time. Um, but I didn't, it, so the, the first couple of those were pretty, you know, kind of resonated with me. And I, I, I ran them very close to as is with a little bit of modifications of my own, of course. And um, uh, I then started going off the rails at that point because I, the, the other, uh, the, the problem I have with tales is that like it's 11 adventures in it. They're all about two pages long. They're really, really brief adventures, but that's fine. Cause I'm only running three hours. Um, but about half of them really have nothing to do with the central arc in the, in the, uh, you know, in this campaign, the, you kind of go, you know, the, the, the start of it is kind of like, well, now the, the head of the town is going to send you off to this whole other town where you do this whole thing for him that has nothing to do with it. So I was like, that kind of sucks. I want it to all be focused around this one thing. So I decided I'm just going to, you know, the first two got me, got my feet wet. And now I'm going to write my own adventures based on that. So the campaign that I'm running is essentially like the default setting of the shadow of the demon Lord is coming to crossings. Crossings is the name of this, the, this, this, city that's in the adventure and you know the the cult of shadow is this cult that is trying to bring they they're trying to accelerate the shadow of the demon lord coming to you know the, the demon lord coming to to earth to to rule the name of the place and um and the characters want to stop it uh and i i i i've paid a lot of attention to what the characters backgrounds were like you know some of them that had had a heavy fey influence so i said okay well one of those hundred pdfs that i got from Rob schwab is called terrible beauty and it's all about the fey so i'll read that and i read that and uh kind of stole a lot of material from that so now the fey influence is a lot bigger they have fey npcs who are like you know we live in a whole other world, but we know that our world borders your world. And if the demon Lord comes to your world, that makes, that makes them closer to our world. So we want to help you stop it at your world so that it won't affect us. Um, and I decided, uh, after they had their third, so, so the last, they, what they, you know, first episode was introduce the characters and discover the fact that the, the cult of shadow picked up a thing known as the eye of the demon Lord, which they're going to use to summon the demon Lord. It's one of the artifacts they need to summon the demon Lord. Uh, two was figure out that a sort of wealthy family, the daughter of a wealthy family got kidnapped by a bunch of thugs, but it turns out she was actually a child, like a demonic child. And she transformed into this hideous monster and her and her father knew it and her father was like yes she is she's wonderful and the characters they had this great scene where my my wife's character um Mo, um not moab myab um uh her, my wife's character is a changeling and and they killed the daughter on this island where they found her and then my my wife's character transformed into her and then she get, went back home and the father's like, did you do it? You know, did it happen? And she's like, not yet, but it's going to. So she goes up to their bedroom and they like, we then lay out all her clothes and spread a bunch of blood around. And, you know, and then we leave. And so they cut, she comes up and like, Oh, she has been taken up, you know, like the demon Lord has come for her. So then the next episode was, um, th- it turns out that this house that the, the, the rich family in the house had a bunch of, uh, scrolls and tomes from a demonologist from 500 years ago who had been hunting for the artifacts of the demon Lord and they needed to go get those scrolls. So it was like a nice one episode heist where they had to break back into the house that they were in, go down to the basement, find a bunch of cultists there, grab a bunch of kill the cultists and then grab their, their, uh, their documents and stuff. And what they discovered is that there are these four things called the anchors Uh, And the anchors are a mixture of people and things that are drawing the demon Lord to the world. And it was like the prince, the, 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 the white lady, the, the book, and I don't know, something else. And 
there are also four objects that can destroy the anchors called the breakers. And those are the things that the, you know, the, the, the cult of shadow wants to kind of collect them all, but the cult, cult of shadow wants to needs to collect the anchors or bring the anchors forth. Like the prince, for example, is a demon prince that they're going to summon. Um, the white lady is actually a vampire who used to be close to the uh, eye of the demon Lord and is still, a, is still alive. And then the book is this old book of the black, the, the black sun cabal, uh, and so they, they have all these objects, but then there's objects that, that they can use to stop these. One is like the splinter of night, which is like this shard from another world that can kill the vampire. Uh, there is a, um, the wand of, I don't know, wand of dark fire or something that can destroy the book. You know, there's one item that destroys each of the four anchors. And what that gives me is nice structure, which is there's four episodes. Your expert path, your four expert adventures are going to be collecting the four anchor, the four breakers. And then your master path is going to be using the breakers to destroy the four anchors. In the last episode, you will be using your final anchor, your final breaker to destroy the final anchor and hopefully stop the coming of the demon Lord. Um, so the interesting one is the, the I said, there's this, you know, the, 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 the breakers include, uh, the sword of stars, the splinter, uh, the wand, and oh, and the bone of the uh, the bone of the new god, which is essentially a artifact from Astrid, who's this, you know, the 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 the, the seer of the new god kind of thing. Um, so they have to like these interesting places they're going to have to go into and get it. Well, they pick, I said, and I, and they get to choose which one do you want to do first, right? I didn't, I didn't do it linearly. They get to pick which one they do. And then I will write an adventure in the week in between in which they do it. And they said, Oh, the sword of stars sounds cool. What they don't know is the sword of stars is a vorpal sword. So, so really, and the vorpal sword in shadow is interesting. If you roll, if your score is 20 or higher, not, not rolling a 20, but if it's, if it's 20 or higher, you behead your enemy. So I'm giving them a really powerful item halfway through the campaign. It could completely unbalance the campaign. I have no idea how it's going to play out. Uh, if you roll below a one, which you could do if you had a bunch of banes, you cut your own head off. So whoever's, whoever's wielding the Vorpal Sword. Well, so I decided like it'd be really fun if instead of just having a Vorpal Sword that we actually do the whole Jabberwocky thing you know it's like the whole the vorpal sword originally came from a from a poem and the poem talks about this monster called the jabberwock so i i'm gonna have them f- face a jabberwock you know i think they're gonna have to run from it because it's really powerful but they're going to the land of fae there's all this sort of alice in wonderlandy fairy tale shit that they have to deal with and then their goal is to find the knight who once swung the sword and they're going to find the knight and they're like there's no sword here and they look in the sky and there's a bunch of stars and in the stars they can see a pattern of a sword and if they reach up towards it they can actually grip it and pull it down and they have the vorpal sword so a lot of i want to really throw in a lot of fairy tale-y sort of stuff in this next adventure but then like i have seven adventures to go and i don't know anything about them like i I have very i I know there's going to be a vampire i have a feeling they're going to break into the church of the new god in order to steal an artifact from there but like, you know, I, one of them is the splinter, you know, that, that I, I have this idea of like the splinter of night, which is sort of this long daggery thing that's actually like a shard from another world. Like maybe it came from the realm of the demon lord and, and got here. But like, where is it? And, and what's the adventure around it where the characters have to go there and, and, and find it, you know? So I'm kind of making them up each week as I go, which is very different than what I'm used to, where I'm used to running a nice published adventure where I read it a lot and then I run it. So it's been a very big change um, between Tomb of Annihilation and this because Tomb, particularly at the end, I just ran what was in the book, you know, and and I didn't really, I did a little bit and I would change it a little bit and I had to pay attention to the characters and character arcs and stuff. But now I'm like every week I have to come up with a three hour adventure that has a beginning, middle and end, you know, and, and it's still tied to the next one. And that's, it's fun. So it sounds like a high demand. It is. It's it's harder. It's. I mean, like, it, and not you know, not not to to pimp my own wares, but one thing I found is like I I felt really lost, especially in that first episode when I was like, I don't know this campaign, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know what's going on, and I was like, well, let me use my steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and go through those and see, and I did it. I'm like, wow, I feel so much better, right? Like, I have I I, I went through my eight steps and I wrote things out, and now I have an idea where the adventure's going to go, <laughs> you know. So I was like, yay, my book works that I spent a year and a half writing. Um, but yeah, what I, what I found that I was actually writing about it in an article is that like for something like this, I have to use all eight steps. There's nothing, you know, I don't have any, 
nothing's doing the work for me. Like I'm reading a lot. I'm pouring over all the stuff, all those hundred PDFs and I'm enjoying the hell out of them. Like Rob is such a great writer. And the, if, if, you know, he, he talks about how he, he, the last thing in the world he wanted to do was build this like super rich campaign world, like the forgotten realms. But then he wrote like 70 PDFs about it. And so he really like, and I'm like, you know, if you put all this together, it would be the size of the Midgard campaign setting, right? Like it would, it's a, a lot of these books are 30 or 40 pages long, but they're great. And they're so interesting to read. And there's, and he really, he really knows how to, uh, like make every area of it, like rich and thick with adventure opportunities. And so I'm really enjoying reading that stuff, even though it's super dark and super gory, you know, there's like, I was reading one the other day where it talked about this crazy demon cult that basically had sex with the idol of their statue and then gave birth to demons. And you're like, really Rob? Like, you know, you just tell like how much fun he's having with this stuff. He's such, he's such like the 13 year old kid with the, you know, black Sabbath t-shirt that's angry about the satanic panic and says, Oh, you think, you think D and D is something you need to worry about. Let me show you what you need to worry about. Right. And then write this. So, but it's fantastic. I'm having a great time. Yeah, I I backed that Kickstarter that that was many years ago, and I I I remember thinking at one point it was like, holy crap, are these products ever going to stop coming? It was yeah, it was craziness. Uh, but you know, yeah, I I joked I joked with him at I met him at Winter Fantasy and he ran a game. By the way, if you if you have a chance to play in a game run by Rob Schwab, it's awesome. But you're going to be paying for therapy for the rest <laughs> of your life. <laughs> It's a high cost. Yeah, like the yeah. things that happened. Ask and so James Intercasso was in my game this last Winter Fantasy. Ask him <laughs> what it was like for my poor character, but it did not go well for my character. So I've only played one session of Shadow of the Demon Lord, but it was run by James Intercasso. It was super late at night at Gen Con, awesome. and everyone at the table who consumes alcohol had done so, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, it, it was just delightful insanity, and we were playing like zero level kind of whatevers. I was a you know snotling goblin. It was great. Yeah, that's the only that. Um, yeah, I think I think I, uh, one of the things I had trouble with is that you really got to remind the players, particularly. In the, I didn't really figure this out until the end of the campaign, or until we started playing. That like healing is really hard to come by. So that's one of the reasons why I have that two or three day period of time in between sessions is that way I know they can heal to full every session. Like you just do not heal quickly and at particularly level zero, you got nothing. So I go with my same thing for fifth edition D&D, which is like, be super nice, be super nice to the players at zero. Like I'm not a killer DM and I know people want to play shadow and they're like, shadow is all about dying. And I'm like, I just played tomb of annihilation. You know, like they just got like one player lost two characters to disintegrate in a row, right? Like, how about I give them a break and actually have a character that they can play all the way through a campaign? So, yeah. All the way through an 11 session campaign. It's probably not that tall of an order. Right. You'd hope. Yeah. And so I I have to be a little careful. Like I'm going to throw that Jabberwock on there and it's like a, it's, it's a master level monster and they're only first level expert. So I'm going to tell them like, you, you do not want to face the Jabberwock. Like you, you need to get away from that thing and fight these other smaller things, but the Jabberwock's out there and you'll hear it and you'll see it and you know it's there. And then maybe if you get the Vorpal Sword, you could like go try to cut its head off because that'd be pretty epic. Well, uh, their fathers will at least appreciate it. That's what I know from the poem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm done on time. All right. On time, yeah. <laughs> Most, mostly, pretty close. Uh, on time and under budget. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, no kidding. <laughs> Are you, uh, do you have any do you have anything that you need help building or? Well, I, always. Yeah. Right. But you know, not, not like I would love to sit and BS with you guys about like filling out some of those places for the other ones. Um, but they'll come to me. Like yeah. I, I've, you know, like as I read that, that's the hard part is like, I know I'm, I'm happy with the idea of having like the seed of eight adventures and having that structure of like, you got the four breakers that you got to get, and then you get the four anchors that you break. And that way I know like, I have this nice eight session and they know it. Like they know like, Oh, that's cool. So we have four breakers that we need. They call them nankers instead of breakers. <laughs> I got to get past that. They, they're definitely throwing a lot of humor into offset the, you know, crazy ass violence. So, so I have a stupid meta suggestion for your splinter yeah. of night. 
So I think it should be an obsidian pillar from right outside the Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> that would be another world. That'd be pretty awesome. I think we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> At least until once he explains that damn plot line, you know. All right. Um, yes, uh, Scott Gray. I think what I'm going to de- steal is Scott Gray, uh, a dear friend and and editor of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and a yeah, absolute, you know, I don't know, superhero of D and D editor of D stuff he wrote an adventure for um shadow of the demon lord and it had this very cool like um you had to uh go down into a quintet it's called and uh you had to go into this old monastery and there's like these five demons below and you have to beat the demons i think i'm just going to steal parts of that and put the splinter like that the splinter is down there in this sort of demonic section and it's been there for god knows how many years and up above, there's this mass sacrifice that took place. I think there could be a lot of cool bit there. So the nice thing with this is he's, I mean, he's got like 50 adventures, right? He's, he wrote like anybody who's like, well, you know, I, I sure wish more stuff came out for fifth edition. Yeah. Oh my God. Like you got no problem. You know, Shadow's got so much and it's cheap. Like the, you know, his, his, his adventures are like a dollar 30. You know, they're, they're cheap. Oh, Sorry. That's not, that's not a timer. <laughs> that was your um, extra, extra time timer. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so I am going to pause here and I'm going to talk about our sponsor for this episode, which is Nova Night Games. Nova Night Games is a brick and mortar store that also uh, sells things online. And I do not have a pick of the episode because I always forget to do a pick of the episode. But uh, go ahead and go over there and and look for some cool gaming stuff. And uh, if you do purchase something, uh, it would be great if you told them that the Tome Show sent you. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, I normally devour noble knights. But right now, I do have one noble knight I love. And that's NobleNight.com. NobleNight.com is so awesome, and it's tasty. I get all my gaming products there, new and out of print. And I can sell my products when I'm not using them. Now, I need to go capture some villagers and sit on a pile of treasure. Thanks. Uh, and we're back. And so next up, thank you, Mike. That was that was really interesting. I, I love that game, Shadow of the Demon Lord. It's really, really fun. Uh, and next up is Brandis Stoddard. Mr. Stoddard, my, my co-host on the Edition Wars podcast. What have you to say about your game? Thank you, Sam. Okay, so uh, this is a campaign that has been running since uh, the first public playtest packet of D&D Next. Um, we run about once a month, so I've run 92 sessions. Um, I have a large number of players, and many of the players have multiple characters. So there's so the XP that the PCs have, have earned and the treasure they've earned has been spread out over all these characters. So in 92 sessions, the highest level character is 8th. Wow. Um, yeah. So like I'm telling a ton of different story threads, right? There's really a lot of different things going on. So there are some players who only actually engage with a limited number of the stories that are that are going on. And all the players are brought together by working for the same mercenary company in a city. Um, if you if you try to turn West Marches into uh, an urban crime fighting game, you'd more or less have what I'm doing. Nice. As, as a campaign concept, right? So um, in the campaign, um, we've just finished a, a really long, big story arc uh, where uh, an evil angel was uh, the trusted advisor of the prince of the domain where the whole campaign takes place. And the PCs found out about the evil angel and the horrible things he was doing and they gathered the things to um, you know, resist the evil angel's power and to fight him and finally uh, drew his attention by pissing him off enough that he showed up to fight them and they banished him back to 
wherever it is that the evil angels dwell, and he can't return to this world for centuries. Um, so uh, they they got some great loot from that, and uh, that was such a big like existential threat story for so long that it leaves a lot of sort of vacuum behind it. Like all of the other things the players would want to pursue got put on hold by, we have bigger problems. We really need to be pursuing, you know, um, in much the same way as you've talked about for, uh, the death curse in tomb of annihilation. Like once the death curse is on the table, you have to deal with that, <laughs> right? You, you can't right. let that run. Um, and so, um, They've done this, and uh, like one of the big themes of the campaign is uh, revolution. So they they engage in a revolution against the prince and uh, the government, or the military government that he put in place over their city. And so there's still a revolution underway against the prince. They they haven't defeated the prince yet, just the angel. And so, uh, in the most recent session, which was uh, this past Sunday, uh, they seized power in the city, and they made one of the players the uh, the reeve of the city, the the you know mayor basically of the city, and um, then figured out a a power sharing structure that would be enough of a sop to the other centers of power in the city that they wouldn't immediately try to overthrow him. Uh, They'll probably try to overthrow them in you know a few months once they've uh, consolidated their own power a little bit more. Um, but um, I find myself at this big crossroads at what is potentially sort of a midpoint of the overall campaign. I don't have any intention of you know ending it anytime soon, um, and I don't have a plan of where it's going. I have deliberately not planned where it's going. Uh, I'm just sort of along for the ride to show them the world and see what happens. Uh, I, I would call myself a lazy dungeon master. Yay! I, I, I'm just I just spend a lot of free cycles, uh, like free mental cycles, thinking about the world and imagining cool stuff for it, and then those just show up when it seems right. Um, so uh, in this past session, it was pretty purely political and investigative. Uh, there was no combat. Um, there was no, there's no immediate threat of combat, but they did get a mission for the next session where they're going to go uh, explore a, uh, a divinatory you know, research lab way out in the middle of nowhere um, because I sort of wanted to draw on the uh, the, the modern uh, sort of uh, Delta Greenish, like you go into a you know, scientific laboratory and something horrible has happened. Well, here it's wizards doing it, and uh, the horrible thing that's happened is that the diviners have you know looked too long into the abyss, and the abominations <laughs> are looking back at them. So, like, Lovecraftian horrors are one of the, the the capital P powers of the campaign that are trying to overthrow the gods. Awesome. Um, the The sense of revolution is extended to the cosmic, right? The, the gods are in control of the world, but the Fae and Hell and the Abyss and the Abominations and the Nightwalker, um, who is just death... Uh, are all trying to overthrow the gods and change the world in their own preferred way. Um, and so up to this point in the campaign, the Fae have gotten way more of the airtime in terms of offering cool stuff and offering interesting missions and so on. Because at least with the Fae, much like the gods, they do want the world to survive. Uh, the, the Fae and the gods hate each other, but they'd rather team up and keep the world alive 
than fight each other and watch the world die. <laughs> so you can have a team full of people who serve the Fae and people who serve the gods, and when there's existential threat on the table, they team up. It's great. Um, but in this past session, uh, stuff that the gods had done finally got some more airtime. Um, for example, uh, the evil angel uh, had a great sword called Skyfire that uh, the PCs had captured a shard of it and it protected them against some of the sword's effects. So it's this, you know, lightning aura great sword with some extra cool powers. Um, and so the PCs have finally captured it and they're convinced by narrative trends, basically, that it's going to be horrible and corrupted and it will destroy them if they try to use it. But they do have some wizards who can identify it. So they're like, fine, let's identify it and see if we're right. So they perform an identify ritual and in Orakesh, when you cast identify, it's a it's a summoning that summons a, a spirit of information that you can talk to, right? So it, it summons whatever it is that can answer your question and the answers are going to be truthful because the spirit might be a jerk, but it's not a lying jerk, <laughs> right? So usually you get like a, a little tiny, um, like salamander or whatever. Um, so this time they got an archangel who just showed up and talked to them about it for a while and explained that, uh, well, the gods created this sword because they wanted lightning to be in the world. And this sword is why lightning is in the world. And man, I can keep myself warm <laughs> at night thinking about the look on my players' faces when they heard that. Uh, that that was that was intensely satisfying. Just <laughs> blowing their little minds with, "Oh, we have the sword. That's why there's lightning." Okay, it was great. Um, and I mean, one of the great things about my players as as people is that they're willing to act impressed. Right, they're willing to let themselves be impressed. Um, so. Um, I've I've just got I'm, I'm bursting with ideas at this point for different things to do in the campaign, but I can only run uh, about six hours of game per month. I hope if I'm lucky, um, and so I want to do stuff to advance uh, phase storylines. I want to do stuff to advance the you know completely political you know, worldly revolution storylines. I want to do more stuff with uh, the the angels and hell and so on. And I just find myself sort of um, not quite paralyzed with indecision because once I'm at the table, I just sort of let the players show me what they want to look at and I make sure there's something cool to find there. Um, but between sessions, I'm, I'm just sort of flooded and it's like, it's like a flooded engine that sort of can't even go anywhere. Right. Um, which is a good feeling in, you know, in a sense as, as a DM, like it's, it's exciting to feel like, wow, not only do, am I not short on content, I literally am paralyzed with indecision. Oh. Um, How are your players? But, uh, well, so they don't really see the, the paralysis of indecision other than my wife who gets to hear me go on about it. Um, but uh, so, so two of the you know, primary active players just had to move to California. So I'm, I'm down to uh, about nine or 10 main active players uh, of whom I'll generally have four to six at a session. Right. Uh, so, so that's so the roster changes every session. I don't think we've ever had the same roster two sessions in a row, unless I specifically like stopped the session in the middle of an adventure and had to wait until that party was together again to continue the adventure. But for the most part, that doesn't happen. Um, so, so that's kind of how I run the whole thing, but. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to them going to the the diviner's lab and 
all they really know is that sending spells have stopped getting a response when the the archmages try to contact their you know uh, their researchers at this lab, and so the players are assuming that the uh, the researchers have all been eaten by <laughs> something with too many eyes, and that's not unfair. That that does sound like something I'd do, uh, but because they're assuming it, I do want to subvert the assumption, uh, and I haven't said anything that confirms the assumption, right? Uh, so I think instead there's going to be uh, something that is misdirecting um, incoming and outgoing sendings. So uh, the the researchers are still alive at the lab, and they're trying to, you know, contact their the, the archmages, and they think they're getting, they think they're in full communication, because they're getting responses that are just false, uh, and so you know, the adventure is going to go along as a, a hunt to find out what's going on, an investigation at the uh, at the research facility. So. That is uh, that's kind of my plan, um, but I also seeded all of this additional stuff. Um, like I was super inspired by um, uh, Adam Coble's uh, Court of Swords campaign, which I've been listening to in, in podcast lately, where the PCs have a key that opens the door to heaven, and I thought that would be a super fun thing to translate into Orakesh terms and figure out what that would, would mean. It's still a key to heaven, but why it exists and so on are more sort of Orakesh specific. Uh, because the gods know that someday they could be unseated from control of the world, and they wanted to prepare for the possibility by giving themselves a way back in. That you know only someone who is devoted to the gods can even hold. Uh, so that's part of um, there's another thing that PCs received in this last session. Um, maybe ironically, uh, as part of a deal with hell um, or hellish warlocks, um, because in Orakesh, hell is bad, but hell was set there by the gods to um, cleanse uh, sins from souls through punishment. So you can kind of deal with hell and it's okay ish. Maybe it, it creates a lot of interesting <laughs> tense negotiations. So can you, can you come back from hell then? So it's a punishment, but then at what point is the soul cleansed and then you're, and then do you come back as a mortal or do you go to heaven? Well, you, you, you come back by getting to go along in the cycle of reincarnation. Once they're done with you, if they ever actually admit to being done with you, it's not super clear that they that hell like upholds its end of the bargain on soul cleansing, because uh, the gods kind of messed up some of the terms of setting hell in place, and their reward mechanism is not great. Um, I mean, part part of Orakesh is that. The gods are good, but they're also kind of fuck ups. Pardon my French, <laughs> but they, they 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 make some bad mistakes, and that's why some of the powers are what they are. Um, but uh, that's that's sort of where I am, um, and uh, really, the only thing that would stop me from running the research lab at the next session is if I have a uh, player and character roster that doesn't know anything about that and doesn't care to go there and has something else they want to do. Nice. So I heard my timer. <laughs> do you have any last thoughts you want to add? <laughs> we always go over a little bit. You uh, haven't gone over enough yet. <laughs> uh, oh, fair enough. Uh, I'll, I'll try to live up to uh, the, the goals of the show. Uh, Not really. No, no pressure. No pressure. Well, um, uh, I'm really having an interesting time making D and D do something that people very often say it can't do, um, because 
the PCs are sometimes leaving the city and going into dungeons and taking whatever they find, but that's not the common mode of play. It's much more um, receive a mission from the mercenary company, uh, carry it out, get paid, and maybe someone dies along the way and maybe they don't. Maybe people just get arrested along the way. Um, So it's intended to be a uh, sort of more pro-social approach to adventuring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds fun. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Brandis. I guess it's my turn. Mike, do you want to set my timer, please? Sure. The the full 15 minutes, sir. <laughs> Done. See, I start talking, two minutes go by, and Mike goes, oh, this sorry, counts. time's up. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I know, I know. This, this is, it's happening I, right I, now. I know. You say this to me every time. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so uh, I am actually, uh, I'm, st- I'm still running my Star Wars game, although we haven't met in, in uh, two or three weeks now, uh, just due to some various uh, adult life uh, schedule switcheroos and that sort of stuff. But that's not actually the game I want to talk about anyway. Uh, I want to talk about the fact that I just ran a game for uh, one of my colleagues, kids last friday and uh she has two boys and they are 13 and 15 and they told her at one point that they wanted to play D D. uh and then she found out i played D and she asked me if i would go in and uh teach her kids basically uh and uh at first i think she thought i was going to say no or that uh, that i was joking about having played D D or something like that and uh uh, and I said, sure, let's schedule something. And so uh, long story short, it culminated in a, a session last Friday, and uh, it was super duper fun. I, um, I, it's been a while since I've taught someone from scratch how to make a character and what all of the terms mean and what all of the dice do and how to tell a six-sided from an eight-sided from a ten-sided and uh, how to read those dice and and what the roles mean and what modifiers mean and just really honest to goodness from scratch teaching someone here is what D&D is um because these are kids that don't uh they they know the fantasy tropes per se uh but they don't play video games and they and they don't uh they do a lot of reading but they don't see a lot of other types of media um and so it was an extreme amount of fun uh, to to sit and actually teach these kids, you know, from scratch what what Dungeons and Dragons is like, uh, and so I I taught them how to make characters. I shortcut it a little bit. Um, I didn't have them create backgrounds, and I didn't have them. Uh, I mean, I didn't have them choose backgrounds, and I and I didn't have them uh, pick spells because uh, one of them wanted to be a cleric, and I and I didn't I didn't <laughs> want to explain all of the issues and ins and outs with spells and i wanted to play though i you know i wanted to not just show them how to make a character but run how, a couple of i'm hours sorry how session. old were they 13 and 15 okay yeah so you know so you can you can imagine i mean they they're they're extensive readers and they you know they've seen television and whatnot but they they're they haven't seen things like game of thrones um they've read lord of the rings uh but not seen the movies right but they've they've seen star wars you know things like that so they're, they're not like you know um, it's not that they don't know anything about pop culture and, and they know the sort of typical fantasy tropes, but they really have no idea about D and D. Uh, so I, I, what I did was I took defiance and flan mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's, it's this nice little compact scenarios and I completely changed it. Uh, the first <laughs> scenario from that, uh, I just took the seed from it. You know, I, I just As needed a seed, right? Yeah. I just needed a seed to tell me, okay, here's what I can do and I can go in this direction. And uh, so I took the seed and I completely, you know, the only thing that I kept about that particular uh, scenario is that it had to do with a dragon's egg. That's pretty much all that I kept. Oh, and there's a, a meeting where uh, everybody's trying to cheat each other. And so basically that's, that's what happened. Uh, and it was just so much fun. It was so fun. And after, after the session, uh, uh, she asked, you know, I I was already gone, but she asked the the boys, Oh, you know, did you have fun, whatever? And, and, you know, is it what you thought it was going to be? And I guess they had, uh, they had tried to play D and D at school. One of their, one of their 
schoolmates had said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll play this game. I'll run this game for you, whatever. And they said, yeah, that was nothing like what we did at school. That that What we were doing at school wasn't had nothing to do with anything. There were no dice. There were no nothing. He just wanted to call it Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, and so, so when I came over and I had, you know, I had, I, you know, had this big book and I'm showing them and, uh, and, um, so, so I, I, I gave them dice. I gifted some dice to them and I gifted a player's handbook to them and they had the, um, the starter box set because, uh, one of them just had a birthday and the other one bought that's, that was the deal they made with the, the mom was, well, if I'm going to have a coworker come over, you got to do a little bit of homework ahead of time. And so we're going to get the starter box for you and you can, you know, you can ch- check it out and look at it, but they still, you know, they really had not a lot of a clue about what was going on, and uh, it was so much fun. But after afterwards, they said, uh, "Well, they all we just have one question. Like we were really curious about something. We just have one question." And I, I said, "Oh, well, what is it?" And she said, "Well, their their question is, when can you come over and run a game again?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so I'm gonna go back uh, next week and run another game for them. And, and I gave them homework when I left. I, I told them to read the section on backgrounds and try to think about what their character uh, would be, you know, what they want their character to be like and stuff like that. But it was really interesting because, as I said, I didn't really explain the spells and whatnot to them. Um, but what I did was I just sort of, when things came up, you know, I mean, as you do, when things came up, I organically started talking about, you know, different ways that things worked and whatnot. Um, but what happened was at one point, they had this dragon egg and of course it was fake. And so it got, uh, it got thrown on the ground and, uh, and it broke. And, uh, the one, the one guy says, well, uh, you know what, can we like maybe try to find some glue or something to put this back together? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, you're a cleric and you could possibly cast a spell to put this back together. And so then I got to talk, you know, talk about cantrips and show him like, well, here's, you know, here are these things that you could possibly learn. So let's pretend like you know this spell because it's completely within the abilities of your character to do that. So here's how this works. And that, you know, and it was, it was really fun because when things would come up and he'd say, well, I want to try to do this and I want to see, you know, how, is there a way I could make that happen? And I, you know, a couple of times I had to say, look, you could try anything. That's what's the awesome thing is about D and D. You can, you just tell me what you want to do and yeah. we'll figure out how to make it, well, you know, how to make it work. Do what you do and roll a 20, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And uh, so, you know, so he ended up with the mending cantrip and they, they fixed the egg and then they, you know, so it was just, it was so much fun. I, and I had forgotten, I mean, I teach a lot of new players how to play, but most of them have an idea or they just want to be, they just want to have a, a pre-gen, you know, and they just want to run and they don't, they don't want to actually make a character and learn how to fill out the character sheet and stuff like that. And these guys wanted to do that. So that was a lot of fun for me. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go back next week and, and I'm going to run a play test of a, of a little uh, adventure that somebody gave me to run a play test for <laughs> Mike Shay. <laughs> hmm. What? Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. And the, the the other thing that I have, the other thing that I have going on is uh, of course I'm I'm starting the D&D brief podcast with uh, with some new players. And uh so I'm I'm planning for that campaign. And uh and I'm so you know, I, I don't want to give too much away cuz I think uh, they might listen to this podcast, a couple of them might listen to this podcast. Um but basically, you know, Saltmarsh isn't out yet as Mike mentioned earlier, and I do really want to have a seafaring campaign. And of course, Seas of Vadari is not out yet. Um <laughs> and uh so but I am also setting it in my own homebrew world anyway. So, you know, I don't need those products to really make this work, but they're really helpful and you know, I I consume a a, a large amount of RPG items. Uh, and just I read the heck out of them, and I and I use uh, I use those to sort of help me plan and figure out how I want to do things. And uh, what I think is going to happen is something that's been brewing in my homebrew world for a long time, and that is that um, uh, the the Minotaur race, uh, which is a civilized race in my campaign, has had a schism in 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 the group of Minotaurs for a very long time. And one one uh, one half basically of of the different Minotaur clans, one half of the entire population, are what what someone might call good Minotaurs, right? They uh, they have you know either neutral or or lawful type alignments, and they believe in civilization, and they you know they have they have 
belief systems that you know stabilize and maintain their societies and et cetera, et cetera. And they have art and they are craft craftsmen, you know, different things like that. And then the other half uh, decided that they need to return to their Minotaur roots, and uh, and half of them worship um, Torog, and half of them used to worship uh, Baphomet, but Baphomet has been subsumed by uh, Therizdun, the Chained God. And so there's this uh, epic battle brewing amongst this group of offshoot minotaurs. Um, and so that's probably going to play into what's happening in the world. And I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play into all of that, but uh, basically the minotaurs are, uh, you know, they own uh, or, or have possession of or live on, I don't know how to better say that at this point, um, a huge number of islands in my homebrew world. And of course, as a seafaring campaign, that means that this group that's going to be on a ship is probably going to be near at least some of those islands, at least some of the time. So some things are happening <laughs> and I don't want to give too much away. So I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say everything, but that's kind <laughs> of what's going on. And I will say that I, I use uh, uh, this little return of the lazy dungeon master book quite a bit as I, as I go through and I try to sort of, sketch out, you know, flow charts and plans and figure out, you know, everything that's going on. Part of the problem is because it's a new group for me, uh, I don't know exactly what, uh, what type of character each of them are going to play and what type of players they are in terms of, you know, what types of things they enjoy. I mean, of course I've asked them, you know, and we're, we're in the middle of having these conversations right now, but until you really play with a group, it's really hard to sort of gauge that. So I have to be a little bit loosey goosey at the beginning because I really want to make sure that I don't, I don't have so much planned that it, uh, that it pushes out anybody's uh, conception of what a really fun campaign is going to be. So, uh, I mean, I generally plan like that anyway. I try to include everyone. And, you know, one of the best things about this book is, you know, review the characters and figure out what their goals are and make sure that you have that in mind, you know, at, for every session, much less for the planning of the whole campaign. So that's, you know, so that's where I'm at. That's, that's, uh, that's where things stand. So I have a couple of different games brewing and uh, it's a ton of fun. Um, I'm because I'm planning this campaign. I've also uh, been, you know, writing more blog posts and producing different things. And, you know, so it's a lot of fun. And I think I'm early, right? Yeah, you've got three I'm, minutes left. I'm super early. Holy cow, three Keep talking. minutes. I know. What's, what the but Can heck? I ask so a question for you? Sure. Uh, yeah. You, you just, with the, with the, 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 the folks that you were teaching fresh, mm -hmm. um, yeah. was there a reason you didn't use pregens? They didn't want to. I they they actually choice. wanted to make their own character. Okay. Yeah. And I, cause I said to them, it'll take, you know, that'll, that'll suck up the first two hours minimum of yeah. what we do. Especially brand new, right? Like and, yep. sometimes yeah. it would feel like, it would yeah. feel to me like the way to do it is let's see yeah. what the game is like. And you just, mm -hmm. you know, what do you want to be? Pick a class. Right. Yeah. And I'll hand you yep. the, the sheet for that class. Mm -hmm. Um, right. and, and then yeah. like, then when they learn it, okay, now why don't you make your own character? Right. Right. Those, yeah. See, the thing—the thing was that I wasn't sure how. Like, I knew that they had tried to play with a friend at school, but I didn't know to what extent they were right. really brand new or right. not. Like, I had very little information going into it. Yeah. So sure. I was prepared for either of those. I had pregens and I had blank character yeah. sheets. Yeah. Gotcha. And I completely gave them the choice, and they—they they really were on board with learning through what, through character building. Yeah, through character building yeah. and and yeah. trying to figure out like and talk through well, what am I? You know, what does this attribute do? What does this mean? What's it going to be used? What's a modifier? You know, how do I figure out what's my armor class? Like, what is that? And when do I roll things? And how do I how do I know when I'm going to roll that? And when do I? You know, just just very basic questions that I think sometimes we forget because I mean I include myself in that just because even though I teach a lot of new players, you just forget what it's like to, you know, to not really know, well, gee, what, what do I even roll? Like when I, when you say roll a, you know, a strength check, what do I roll? Like, what, what does that mean? Do I roll this one? Do I roll this one? You know? Right. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's really humbling and it was, it's really fun. Uh, and they just, they had a lot of fun with it and they already, you know, developed personalities for their characters in terms of, you know, how they behave 
with each other and and you know how they interacted with the different npcs and with their patron who they were scared of because i made him a goliath Mm -hmm. um and they didn't know they're like what the heck is that i said well it's like a half giant and you know right it's you know it's got gray skin and they want the like they want the weird stuff right away yeah they want the weird stuff right (laughs) away but they they, but they right but they were so scared like they were scared of everything they're like oh i'm so scared but i'm gonna go do this thing anyway and it was awesome you know it was awesome that's great. Uh, so yeah. So, but that's why, because I, I, I was prepared to just give them pregens and and just run something real quick and just sort of walk them through. But they really wanted to because the thing was because I knew that he had the starter box, uh, but then he also wanted he also wanted the player's handbook, and so I told my colleague, you know what, I'll just give you one because I have my uh, my spiral bound one, and I just gave it to them. So he had it. So we had like two or three of players' handbooks at the table that we could look at. And so everybody could kind of see and, you know, I, I made a character along with them and I told them, you know, well, I'm going to make this kind of character and here's why I'm choosing, I'm making this choice. And, yeah. you know, then they could sort of see somebody make a different character kind of thing. Yeah. So That's yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would imagine for like brand new people, it'd be really cool to sort of play and see how the game works and then like mm-hmm. go buy the player's handbook and spend three weeks making characters. Yeah. You know, that yeah. that's the lonely fun of D and D is just imagining right. characters. Yep. Exactly. It's like us with and campaign so, worlds, right? Got, yeah, right. You got totally. file folders yeah. full of campaign worlds we're never yeah. gonna run. Oh, I mean, like I I, I have a, a an actual digital file where I compile everything and I was just opening it up because I was gonna make some <laughs> and it's like it's like eighty pages yeah. uh, in Word document. And that's just like my scribbly notes like that I transcribed, you know, and it's like, oh my god, you know, I have a campaign book here and it's way too, you know, there's so many to far-flung pieces and just different things and yeah. you know but yeah but it's the same with characters that's how it used to be with characters too when i very first started playing a long time ago like that's it's the same thing you just make this stuff and that that's the other fun thing about it is when i show up next week i have no idea if they're going to want to play the same characters or make different ones or you know and that's cool whatever they want to do like uh, is what i'll do you right. know but right. it's one of those things so so a few years back um we were down with um my in-laws and uh, at my wife's encouraging uh, I found myself uh, teaching a, a table full of 60 somethings uh, how to play <laughs> fifth edition D and D for the first time. Oh, wow. Wow. And other than my wife, one person at the table had played any edition of D and D at all before. Uh, it was her dad who had uh, played first edition back when first edition was the current edition. Uh, right. <laughs> and uh, it, it sort of life happened that he hadn't picked up a book since, but it was, it was just fascinating to sort of start from zero on a, on a table full of 60 somethings and see what stumped them since, I mean, they have world context for, what words likely mean and how to parse a, a complicated document and so on. But uh, they don't have some of the uh, other things that, you know, a uh, 13 or 15 year old would have going for them in uh, learning a new language quickly, let's say. So, I mean, it wound up being a really good experience. They had a good time in, you know the simplest adventure I could possibly write, and it, it was all uh, uh, pregens, though uh, um, it, they were pregens that I worked up earlier that day. But, but yeah, uh, I, I should dig up my blog post about that and you know, remember exactly how it all went. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. It's the funny thing is like. Um... I don't know. I, I like, there was a video on YouTube that I saw just the other day where a, a, a guy was uh, running his mom and her friends, his mom and aunt and two of their friends or something through a game, and they're like you know fifty something moms, you know, and they like had a ton of fun. And the, he, you know, basically the guy was like, oh, you know, I'm just trying to, I just wanted them to know what I do, like I because you know, I, I make videos and whatnot and I do these things and I make money off of this. And, and so when I say I'm busy doing this thing, they're kind of like, Oh, whatever, you know, but so I want to, I want them to see, and they're like, 
you know, these moms are like cracking jokes about, you know, things that I would never have thought my mom would crack a joke about <laughs> at a D&D <laughs> game, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, uh, just the rise of media and the rise of social media and the rise of just uh, more interconnectedness between people being able to discuss things has made certain things less taboo. And, uh, you know, I think role-playing is one of those things. And so, you know, uh, uh, add that to the rise of fifth edition and just, you know, streaming and whatnot being kind of a part of that, a, a part of the hobby that's, that's accepted as just a part of it, you know, um, I think really has opened some doors that are, uh, that maybe weren't opened for a very long time for various different reasons, but I, it's really fascinating to me. It's really fascinating to me, but I am really happy to be sort of shuttling in the new generation of, of players and whatnot. Cause I think, I think these, these boys are going to, you know, they're probably going to play for a long time. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So uh, unless anybody has any last thoughts, uh, we'll round it up. Nope. So Brandis, do you want to tell us where uh, people can find you on the internet? You can find me at uh, www.brandisstoddard.com, which is my personal blog. I also write for tribality.com, the history of the classes series and some other articles. And I'm on Twitter at Brandis Stoddard. Awesome. And Mike Shea, everybody knows. Everybody knows? Well, just in everybody, case. Everybody knows. In case, case someone doesn't. <laughs> slyflourish.com and twitter.com slash slyflourish. Yep, and patreon.com slash slyflourish. That's right, yes. But uh, So you can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel, or uh, you can actually find me on the DMs Guild now. I released a little product just the other day. It's Pay What You Want. Uh, it's called DM Quick Tools, a ship name and type generator. So it's a very quick uh, little one-page thing that you can use to generate over 2,500 different ship names for your seafaring campaign. So I am really gearing up for this this sea-based thing, and I really hope my players like it, because if they don't, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, having said that, everybody say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye! Goodbye!